Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 78. April 28th of last year, Keith Marigault was sitting on the stoop of his apartment in Boston. He heard a crash of glass. He looked up and four stories up above him, a baby, 18 months old, had come flying through the window and was holding to the curtain, uh, grasping frantically, trying to hold on. Uh, Keith ran underneath the window just as the baby lost its grip and dropped four floors. He was able to catch the baby unharmed in his arms. Turned out the mother and father of the baby were having a fight, and in anger the father threw the baby through the window. We say, what kind of man would do something like that? But I wonder if you and I may be doing something like that without meaning to. In this 78th Psalm, the writer is Asap. We don't know much about Asap. David wrote most of your Psalms, but this one written by Asap, and it talks about parents and children. Asap has a plan in this Psalm. He wants to review the lessons of Israel's history. He speaks of that history in verses 1 and 2 as a He wants to teach him some dark sayings. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. What's he speaking of? Well, he means puzzling things, such as the constant unfaithfulness of Israel and God's amazing patience with Israel in its history of rebellion. They're familiar with this history, he says in verse 3 which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, but he wants to review it carefully with him. His purpose, that's his plan, his purpose is to encourage parents to teach these lessons to their children. They resolve to teach them. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Uh, We won't hide these things. Each parent is obliged to teach them to their children, uh, to his children, but the church as a whole is obliged to teach it to the covenant children. We will not hide them from their children, he says. This knowledge must be transmitted on. The content that needs teaching, in verse 4, he says, uh, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Now, what he has in mind, are, as he goes on in the psalm there, are things like God's mighty work in delivering Israel from Egypt under Pharaoh. And when Moses goes in and says, uh, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And God reduces the mightiest nation in the world then to rubble as he brings ten plagues at the word of Moses, one after another. And yet Pharaoh's heart is hardened time and time again. And finally, Pharaoh says, take them and go. And then he chases them. And God parts the Red Sea, another mighty work. And uh, then Pharaoh's army is drowned in the sea as he seeks to pursue them. Uh, When they come to Mount Sinai, God in thunder and lightning gives the Ten Commandments to his people. And uh, then as they rebel against him, he preserves them for 40 years as they wander in the wilderness. Their clothes don't wear out 40 years. Uh, Every morning they go out and gather breakfast as God causes manna to be there, bread from heaven, for 40 years, every morning. 
Then he parts the Jordan River. They go across as if on dry land. And uh, the obstacle before them as they enter the promised land is Jericho, a walled up city, a fortress. God causes the walls to fall down as they blow their trumpets and shout, a shout of faith. And then he drives out seven nations mightier than they were. These mighty works of God, that's what he wants told. That's That's the content. What about us? That was 1000 B.C. that Asaph is living. We are 2000 A.D. What about the mighty works since that time? God sent His Son. God the Son came into this world. He who made all things was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that Son of God incredibly goes to a cross for sinful man. Well might the Son in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When Christ, the mighty Maker, died for man, the creature's sin, who could have imagined that God would send His Son, true God the Son, who would take man's guilt and make payment on our behalf, and then that God would offer free forgiveness through repentance and faith in His Son. And the tomb was burst open on the third day, and His Son rose and conquered death for all who believe in Him, and ascended to the right hand of the Father visibly, and then poured out His Spirit at Pentecost. Three thousand converted. A few days later, five thousand as the church, now anointed with the Spirit of God in a new way, goes out to tackle the world. And the Christian faith spreads across the Roman Empire. In several hundred years, is declared the official faith of the Roman Empire by Constantine, in spite of ten terrible plagues. And we have the history of those martyrs who were burned at the stake. Polycarp, eighty and six years have I served him. Served him. He's been faithful to me. I will never deny him. Burn the old man at the stake. And he goes willingly. Martin Luther, it's a dangerous thing to go against the conscience. My conscience is bound by the word of God. Justification is not by works. God saves through faith alone. Here I stand. I will not take back what I've written. I will not recant. God help me. Amen. Calvin, the great intellect of the Reformation. Wesley, Whitfield, those great evangelists who preached in the open field to 40,000 without a PA system. The great awakening with Jonathan Edwards here in this country. The great evangelist, Moody and, and uh, Billy Graham and the others. Billy Sunday and so on. Declare the mighty things that God has done. Tell Him of what He's done in your life and in your family. The mighty works of God. We will not hide these things from our children. God made provision for that teaching, says Asaph in verse 5. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. He's speaking of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on. In Deuteronomy 6, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. They shall be for frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. Every way you can, when you put the child to bed, teach him, pray with him. At the breakfast table, when he rises up, when you associate with him during the day, posters before him, tapes, music, testimonies, books, every way that you can, you teach him the mighty works of God. That's the commandment. God made provision for this teaching. You know, there's another tradition being taught in our day. One of our home missionaries, John Buell, president of the Foundation for Thought and Ethics, writes in his newsletter about one of his board members whose son was at North Texas State University studying history, brought his history book home, and his father flipped it open and reads through it. Page one. Quote, we have all played masculine feminine. We have been taught it from birth. Only recently has it occurred to us that it might be a game. Many of us have been prompted by women's movements and, and homosexual groups in the last few years to question some of our traditional ideas about what is natural for men and women. And the author goes on to bring forward various studies such as Margaret Mead's to advocate homosexuality is not a bad thing after all. Not unnatural. There's another tradition out there being taught to our children which makes it even more crucial that we do as ASAP is saying. How do you do it? How do you teach your children? I can remember when mine were little struggling with that. I can remember telling my wife as we tried to have family devotion, I believe our son is demon-possessed. Why do you say that? Watch him when we try to have Bible study. Chaos. One day I couldn't find the book. And he said, let me get my book. And he ran off and came back with a book. And It was his Sunday school quarterly. It had the story in it of uh, when Jesus was on the shore after the resurrection and the disciples in the boat. And they recognize it's him. And Peter jumps in and swims. And uh, I read the story Kind of hammed it up a little. I had Peter drowned and John fish him out. And uh, he listened. He said, read it again. I read it again. He said, read it again. I read it. He wasn't demon possessed. Praise God. I just wasn't on his level. Once I got on his level, he was there. They're tools. Praise God for the helpful tools. Man, I remember pouring over books and reading stories and trying to find something that would fit them for where they were. And uh, battling with hair. Hair's a battle. Daddy, we can't have devotions this morning. Why? I've got to take down my hair. Well, why didn't you do that earlier? I had to roll it up. <laughs> well, why didn't you get up early? I'm already getting up at 4.30 to wash it. <clears throat> but uh, we hang in there. We work at it. Model. Model. You teach by modeling. Paul says to the Philippians, the things you've seen and heard and learned in me do. He's modeling it. He says to Timothy, you know my conversation, my manner of life, my faith. Modeling for Timothy. Model it. I was reading about a mother who modeled for their children, and the child now, a mature adult, writes about the impact of that. This is back in the days of the Depression when she was growing up and they were poor. They had a small farm, 
had a wash machine, wooden one, all the parts wooden except a couple of gears. Had to crank it by hand, and all the kids had to do that. And it was all day affair when they were washing. Uh, because of this old washing machine. And they didn't have any money for a new one, but finally Mama announced that she was going to get some turkeys, and they were going to raise these turkeys and buy a washing machine in the fall. She brought the turkeys home, little baby turkeys, and had to move one of the chicken houses down into the meadow because you can't raise turkeys near chickens. About a half mile down there, they had to carry water and feed every day. Uh, one day, and, and she said, uh, when she brought them home, she prayed, God... Help us to raise these turkeys so we can buy a new washing machine. God, thank you that you will do that. Faith. They came when the children went down there, and one of the little turkeys was dead. Some disease had struck them, and they all rushed down, and Mama got an eyedropper and fed them. They lost six turkeys with that disease. And then uh, there in the middle of the summer, one sultry night, storm hit. Terrible storm, and... They heard the dead get up in the middle of the night and go out, go down there and come running back with his lantern. Kids, up quick. The house is blown away. The turkeys all in the mud and the water. They'll drown. And each kid going out in the lightning, scared to death, finding the little turkeys in the mud in the dark and bringing them in. Mama built a fire in the stove. Not much of a fire. Put the turkeys in there. <clears throat> dried them up. Dried them off. Got them out. Lost ten turkeys. Sixteen turkeys. The kids are all dismayed. There won't be enough money to buy the washing machine. Oh, yes. Don't worry, children. God's going to help us. They came in Thanksgiving when they would, uh, Thanksgiving time when they would sell them for produce. Took them in. Got a check from the man. The kids just wanted to see the check. Mama just folded up and walked across the street to where the washing machine store was. She'd picked hers out long ago that she wanted. Down on the end, the man went over and got the machine, brought the ticket, gave it to her. Seventy-nine dollars. And the kids looked at the check. Seventy-nine dollars. And here's that girl now remembering her mother's faith as her mother modeled for her what it means to trust in the Lord. Influenced her. We model it. We discipline our children. That's part of it. We train by discipline. I remember when I was a kid and uh, being down the street, my mother called me, Frank Jr. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. And... Uh, I remember the kid that lived next door. He said, you don't have to go. I said, when your mother calls, you don't have to go. When my mother calls, I have to go. It's a matter of survival. <laughs> Eli, the old high priest. Hannah left her little boy, Samuel, with him. One night, the Lord spoke to Samuel. And he said, Samuel, tell Eli that I will judge his house forever because his sons made themselves vile in my sight and he did not restrain them. Old Eli, a godly man, but he didn't discipline his boys. It's hard work. And his house judged forever. Teach by training, by discipline. It takes time. A pediatrician was talking to Father Five, and they were discussing these things. And uh, uh, Father Five said to the pediatrician, You know how children spell love? The pediatrician said, Well, I guess L O V E, like anybody else. I said, No, 
They spell it T-I-M-E. My boy the other day wanted me to work with him on building a model, and I, I told him that I would, but then I was, when the time came, I was busy, and I said, Son, I, I can't do it now. I don't have time. And he looked at me and said, I wish you could buy time. If I could buy time, I'd take all my allowance and buy some of your time right now. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. You know, I regret a lot of things about my life. But one that I deeply regret is that when my children were little, I didn't spend more T-I-M-E with them. God's purpose in commanding this, He gave a law. Verse 6, That the generation to come might set their hope in God, might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Notice the three generations there. James Dobson, in his book, Straight Talk to Men and Their Wives, likens it to a a relay race. He says, the mission of introducing one's children to the Christian faith can be likened to a three-man relay race. First, your father runs his lap around the track carrying the baton, which represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the appropriate moment, he hands the baton to you, and you begin your journey around the track. Then finally, the time will come when you must get the baton safely into the hands of your children. But as any track coach will testify, relay, relay races are won or lost in the transfer of the baton. As a critical moment, when all can be lost by a fumble or a miscalculation, the baton is rarely dropped on the backside of the track when the runner has it firmly in his grasp. If failures to occur, it will be likely to happen in the exchange between generations. He says, according to the Christian values which govern my life, passing that baton on, my Christian faith on to my child, is one of the most important things in the world. He tells of a letter that his father wrote to him about the way he, James Dobson, was handling time in relation to his daughter, Diane. The letter said, Diane is growing up in the wickedest section of a world, much further gone into moral decline than the world into which you were born. I have observed, said his father, that the greatest delusion is to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents have been, or that any of them will enter into the Christian faith in any other way than through their parents' deep travail of prayer and faith. But this prayer demands time, time that cannot be given if it's all signed and conscripted and laid on the altar of career ambition. Failure for you at this point would make mere success in your occupation a very pale and washed-out affair. Indeed, he said that letter hit him like a thunderbolt. And he began setting aside one day a week to fast and pray for his child and passing the baton on. Notice uh, the personal trust in God that is the purpose. It says in verse 7, that they might set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep His commandment. We train our children, we model for them, we teach them the mighty works of God that they might personally put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and surrender to Him as their Lord. But you can't make that happen. And you may be a child here and have been raised in a home where the parents really did it right. They modeled it. They prayed for you. They taught you. But you haven't responded. 
a lady writes to her daughter, It's your move, daughter. I gave you life, but I cannot live it for you. I can teach you right from wrong, but I cannot always decide for you. I can buy you beautiful clothes, but I cannot make you lovely inside. I can teach you to share, but I cannot make you unselfish. I can teach you about sex, but I cannot keep you pure. I can tell you about drink, but I can't say no for you. I can warn you about drugs, but I can't prevent you from using them. I can love you as a daughter, but I cannot place you in God's family. I can pray for you, but I cannot make you walk with God. I can tell you about Jesus, but I cannot make Him your Savior. I can teach you to obey, but I cannot make Jesus your Lord. I can tell you how to live, but I cannot give you eternal life. Youngster, you must respond. You must grasp the baton when it's passed on to you. What if there's failure? What if we drop the baton? Verse 7, that they not forget the works of God. In verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. He's speaking of those that came out of Egypt. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Terrible result. They make no decision for Christ and for right. It's like throwing the baby out of the window, as that father did. You know, the Puritans were strong on this. And they had a lot to say about parental responsibility in training children in God's ways. One of those Puritans, Richard Mather, pictures... Judgment Day, and children whose parents were careless about this, and thus the baton was dropped. Those children speaking to their parents on Judgment Day. And they say, all this that we here suffer is through you. You should have taught us the things of God and did not. You should have restrained us from sin and corrected us and you did not. Woe unto us that we had such carnal and careless parents. Some of us here will hear such words. Well, we see Asaph's plan. We see his purpose. Notice his procedure. What he does is, in the rest of the psalm, he reviews the history of Israel, their rebellion against God's God's, uh, reaction to this, God's amazing faithfulness, and their... Unbelieving response. He takes up Ephraim as a typical example, the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, They turned back and didn't subdue Canaan. They kept not the covenant of God, it says. Uh, And in his law, they refused to walk. And then he talks about Israel at the time of the Exodus in 12 to 31. In 13 to 16, he speaks of God's wonders as he parts the sea and so on. But in 17, they rebelled says, they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. Then he speaks of uh, God's judgments and uh, their shallow repentance in 32 to 39. Verse 36, it says, uh, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and lied unto him with their tongues. Their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. 
speaks of their rebellion in the wilderness. They limited, prescribed bounds to God's power in their unbelief. Their infidelity after they occupied Canaan in 55 to 64, verse 55. He cast out the heathen before them and divided them an inheritance by land, made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, kept not his testimonies. And uh, God's faithful care in establishing the kingdom under David. Each kindness of God evoked a response from them, the opposite of what it should have been. What about us? He speaks of how many privileges they had and yet their failure to be faithful. We've had so much more in terms of privileges. Uh, We thus have the consequent responsibility to be much more careful. What kind of parent have you been? I read of a family where the mother was a Christian, the father was not, and uh, the mother each night would have a time of instructing her child in the wonderful works of God. She would read Bible stories and talk to her little girl. The little girl would sit at her mother's knee, and then they'd have prayer together. The little girl would place her head on her mother's knee and pray, and often she'd go to sleep in prayer. And The father would sit over to the side and observe this, read a paper, and he, he thought it was nice. He wasn't a Christian. This was really not of too much interest to him, but he thought it was nice. And it was such a beautiful scene there, his wife and his daughter and her head on his wife's knee, and she'd go to sleep, and he wanted a picture. So he hired an artist to come and paint that scene. And the artist would come at night and take it when it was real and work on it. And as the father watched and he watched the picture develop, all of a sudden a sense of loneliness began to steal over his heart. He began to feel left out. And finally he went to the artist and he said, "Uh, I want you to paint me in the picture too. I, I feel left out of the family. And the artist said, I'm sorry, sir, it's too late. Uh, you would either add from or take away to. Take, you would either add to or take away from. I, I, I can't paint you in. And those words burned into his heart. I'd either add to or take away from. They finished the painting and they hung it there and entitled it A Sleep in Prayer. But not too long thereafter, the artist was called back. Now the father was a Christian. He said, I want another picture painted with me reading the Bible to my family, taking my proper place, instructing my people and my children, my child here in the way of the Lord. And another picture was painted with the father and the child and the mother. It was hung side by side with the first one. The first one said, Asleep in prayer. And the second one said, Awake in Christ. And underneath, you would either add to or take away from. Which picture is you? Are you asleep or are you awake in Christ? If you're awake in Christ, how crucial it is that you pass the baton on. What are you doing to do that? Are you thinking it's just going to happen naturally? It won't. Let's be serious about it. Take our father's coaching clinic. Take advantage of things like our wilderness camp where a father and a daughter, a father and his son go on a weekend wilderness camp with us. Extended time there with your boy and this kind of thing. Set up a family time when you study and talk about the mighty things of God. Take advantage of the tools here, the tapes, uh, the music, the posters, the books. We have a father present this morning who 
some years ago, but came to Christ as an adult. He had two teenage boys, or three teenage boys. And uh, they were not Christians. He hadn't been. He heard a sermon by Wales Goble along this same line, and it struck him right in the heart. I haven't passed the baton on. I haven't had it long, but I'm not doing anything to pass it on. He went home, and he got his, he got his wife. He said, I haven't been the father that I ought to be. I failed you. But I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to try to do it right now. And I want your cooperation. They weren't very cooperative. The boys weren't. This was something new, and they didn't want this. But the father persevered, and he prayed, and he lived it out. And first one son came, and then another, and then another. And the father had the joy of seeing all those boys pick up the baton. If you're asleep in prayer, turn and become alive in Christ. You'd either add to or take away from. Why not add to that scene? Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, what kind of parent have you been? Maybe you're in the difficult position of being both mother and father. We want to help you in every way we can to fill that role and to supplement you. Maybe you've been asleep. Or maybe you've been careless. Maybe you've been sacrificing your children on the altar of career ambition. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. What's God saying to you through this passage of Scripture? What will your children say to you in the judgment day? If you have been asleep, not really alive in Christ, but you're prepared to become alive, maybe a youngster, maybe a parent, you right now respond Pick up that baton. Open your heart to Christ. Pray like this. Lord Jesus, too long I've been asleep to these things. I want to be alive in You. I surrender to You as my Master and I trust You as my Savior. Come into my life. Quicken me. Amen.